Yo, what's good? Welcome to another episode of Fun with Dumb. I am dumb. Uh, short for dumbfounded. But uh, I'm here joined by a guest, a friend of a long time. Um, rarely get to see this guy. It's but been a while. It's been years, actually, at this Damn, point. Damn. Don't yeah. say that. Say it ain't so. Yeah, no, nah, I would I would see you like every couple of years at an event. Yeah. Um, sometimes, like a lot of Asian American events. Poetry events. Poetry events. Um, and you, you're just an OG all around, I think, in a lot of entertainment aspects. Um, uh, this is Dante Bosco. Make some noise right now, y'all. Hey. What's up, you guys? I'm in the house. Good to see Dumb. Damn. I guess we've been busy. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I this is this is crazy because it's not just an episode of podcast. It's kind of catching up. Like literally, you just walked in the door. Right. You know? Right. No, totally. And we's already kind of pre catching up. Yeah. And just to intro for cats who may not be familiar, um, Dante Bosco is an actor, voiceover actor as well, um, a writer. Uh, you told me you were doing some producing. Producing now. Producing films. Um, you might have seen him as a child actor. Child actor. At, in, in the movie Hook as Rufio, one of the illest characters ever in movies. And man, respect. Yeah. Um, uh, a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. A lot of shows I really grew up on. Right. And you, while you were growing up on the well, actual. He was on some hood Asian stuff, you know? You, I mean, that, you know what? Actually, that's funny you bring that up. You are the original hood Asian dude. Uh... I, for film and television, I mean, we, obviously we've been in the hood for years. I, I think, but like coming to America and people being like, "Damn, it's like y'all really do like that in the hood." I'm like, yeah, that's how we grew up. Well, it's an interesting situation because I talk about how even when I would see Asian Americans on television and film back in the day, like that doesn't necessarily mean I could relate to them, right, you know? Because right, right. I think early on there was a, a, a version of Asian Americans like on television and film. Right, right, right. You were right, like right. one of the few dudes that I actually did relate to because I was like, I'm growing up in hip hop culture. Right around my neighborhood with right. friends, black friends, Latinos, and you like were the Asian, neighborhood Asian kid on these shows. I know. I mean, it's weird to think back now and look back and it's like one of those things where a lot of folks, Asian or not, would be like a certain generation that like 90s babies that grew up are like, yo, you were just the first cool Asian I ever saw right. in right. pop culture, that's period. Ill. And you're like, whoa. And that's crazy because at that time, like how, like how did you just, monopolize that role I don't you know what it is I think when I came into Hollywood uh, it was just a lane a lane that was open and right. you, you know when you act you know you're around Hollywood and basically you either like gonna try to be what people want you to be or you're just gonna be you and, right. they're, and, and they're gonna see that and either they're gonna cast that or not and uh, by the fortunes of whatever you right. know the Hollywood fortunes it's like uh, a lot of people got me and just um, I worked a lot through the 90s and kind of was able to uh, give a different flavor for what age. When, when did you start? Like what age? 85, man. I got 85. to LA in 85. I mean, I'm you know, because of Spielberg and Hook, I'll always be like, people be like, discovered by Steven Spielberg kind of thing. But that was like 91. Was that your first role? Or? No, I started acting when I was uh, 10, 10 in 85, okay. right? So I was like, I came into town as a B-boy. Damn. Straight up, like I mean, now you were breakdancing around that time. Yeah, from the the the, the golden era hip hop. Like we started. Me and my brothers were all actors and producers and writers. Today, um, we started as b boys in the streets of San Francisco. Like so, to when I talk now, and I'm hanging out with a lot of friends, whether they be musicians, rappers, whatnot. It's like 
I'm a hip hop artist. I'm still a hip hop artist. Of course. Yeah. It's like, this is the the maturation of, of hip hop. You know what I'm saying? That's the thing. I don't think a lot of cats would even, they they know like when you, they see you were depicted in the movie or TV, but you're part of the culture. Yeah. And uh, I had a whole long conversation with, uh, with a producer at NBC uh, about Jay-Z's last album, about, mm-hmm. oh, this is hip hop growing up. This right. is 40 something hip hop. It ain't for everybody. It ain't going to be the biggest hits exactly. on the chart. But he's talking to some of us that grew up in the culture and uh, and we're we're not just hit, we're not just rap we're not just you know what I'm saying yeah we're just graph we're not just DJs we're I mean it's all a part of us but it, we're the this is the maturation of hip hop generation for sure I mean when you were growing up as like a b boy and in the hip hop culture say you would go to an audition right like how did they pick up on that lane being open was it just the way you presented yourself like um, yeah see this is the thing when when I was coming up and even now a lot of Asian artists know that. To work in the industry, you have to straight up beat out white kids for white roles and black kids for black mm. roles because there's no one writing Asian roles. Right, right. Right. So there's just a whole era of my life that um, it was just final callbacks and was like, where are they going to go the way we wrote it or we're going to go with Dante? Mm. And then you just got to beat them. And then it's back to my b-boy roots was straight up battle. You know what I'm saying? We're like, yeah. you're in the, okay, final audition, let's battle, go, go kill it. Um, now the lane's opening up. Even the Asian roles I went out for, I wasn't the Asian they were looking for. Right. Like you, I walk in the room, they're like, hmm. Right, 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 right. What kind of Asian are you? And you're, you're like talking the way you're around with your friends, like at yeah, these auditions. Totally. And I have a lot of friends that grew up in that era that was really, like John Cho's like awesome. It was great. And uh, a lot of things against John Cho Cohen. And John's amazing. But it was like, that's one lane of Asian America. This is another lane of Asian America. It was always, uh, you know, there's a, there's more of a, straight, a straighter lane and there was like the urban lane. And I was that, like, but that, I was always surprised how like there wasn't so many urban voices from like the, the, the Asian community in movies and stuff, you know, like you, you're like one of them. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, it wasn't our thing, right? We're like really a kind of a nose to the grindstone, kind of like keep it under the radar. That's what Asian culture is. Right. Um, and and hip hop is flamboyant. And mm. you know what I'm saying? Like that's not our our first thing. That's true. A lot of a lot of Asians, like even when they get involved in one of the elements of hip hop, right. it's like it's like DJing, right? right? It's kind of more low key behind low the key. scenes. Like, but they've been around like Filipino DJs. I'm from the Bay, so Filipino DJs have been yeah. That's the OG place for the yeah, Filipino DJs. Scratch pickles, shout out of course, Cubert, the whole. Yep. And then when I got to LA, all the DJs in LA, uh, you know, the Legend Crew, like Beat Junkies, Icy Ice, E Man, like the dudes that we grew up with, like going to their parties they, you know we were around the scene forever and of course the b-boy scene uh filipinos have been killing in the bay and cali like forever like yeah. some of the best D- b-boys ever in the world right you know what i'm saying i mean i'm surprised like with your whole fast song you didn't get into like i'm saying but i guess you did because no, you I went did. to spoken word yeah, yeah yeah i mean i me and my band my brothers had a band for years in the 90s and we're live hip-hop it was like before limp biscuit and all that stuff dropped. oh shit okay so it was like Some early fusion root like- stuff like live band hip-hop but it was and we were is before the internet so we'd sell out mad shows there's so many people kind of like comic cons and stuff like got like old albums oh, on crazy. we still got like old EP on, on right. Spotify right now but it was like we were selling out shows at the Roxy and Troubadour all around LA Yeah, and we played colleges but it was you know it was before the internet hit and you couldn't really capitalize on it and it was still a big segregation between like acting and music like mm. those days it was like really really hard to cross the boundary right. you know right. what I'm saying so, uh, but I still love music and I still love poetry. I still write. I actually got, I'll tell you, I got, I don't know if I could tell, say this yet, but I got a track dropping soon. 
Oh, really? Like, I just did a poem on a track, but it's super ill. And been, when is this coming out? It's probably like in three, four weeks. Okay, yeah, so I could probably talk okay, about it. It'll cool. be out by then. No, it's it's crazy because I've actually noticed a, a lot of spoken word artists going into more, like, just making song, rap songs. Yeah. It's been like a wave. You well, know? you know you know about the Poetry Lounge. And, and, yeah, of course. And yeah. so, uh, for people out there that don't know, um, I, I started this venue uh, called DPL the Poetry Lounge which is originally Dante's Poetry Lounge mm-hmm. which started in my living room over 20 years ago and my partner Sheehan was on my couch and we would start throwing this venue like we you know we wandered into a po- we met a we actually me and Sheehan met at a poetry venue Ronnie's Backstreet Poetry and became fast friends and was around the whole scene and that became the biggest uh now weekly open mic in the world. It was, and which it was is crazy. It's it still was going even on. like a recruiting ground for Def Jam poetry. Yeah, it was an inspiration for Pre- Def Jam. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. It yeah. became Def Jam poetry. I mean, it became. It's literally what the inspiration for the what the scene is. Damn yeah. near, right? It's, so I was because that help came about because I was working with um, Stan Lathan on Steve Harvey show. Mm. And every time I see Stan on auditions, he always like drop a new poem on me, right? And I would do poems for him. I was doing poems for Steve Harvey and all them on the set, and I invited the whole cast to come out to my lounge on Tuesdays, and then. Stan finally came after like years, not yeah. years, you know, years like just invite because I invite everybody, and then he was just came like month after month after month and started developing what became Deaf Poetry. It's it's so crazy because like I think that was such a. I remember you know I I've been I've gone to the poetry lounge when I was young. You old fam, you old DPL I, I, yeah, fam for sure. But you know I'm from like Project Blood, Los Angeles, and Project you know, Blood. People know about Project Blood. Yeah, yeah, it's just like these oh, are just God. establishments in Los Angeles. Thursday that's, night, yeah, Thursday, Thursday night, night Lamar Park, Park. Yep. Uh, super. Um, intimidating. I mean, the poetry lounge too. Really, the poetry lounge. Yeah, but <laughs> we came from like a real love space. Like even today, like easy even bad posts get on the mic. It doesn't matter. We, it's all love. Right. Project Blow. For people, gotta know people. That They're a little bit know. more mean. They're you mean, know. but you saw Project Blow for people. They know because they follow you, right? Or do you gotta talk about yeah, Project Blow? I mean, you it's know, a, kids might know, but it's like dog. It, it's a legendary. These are like legendary spots, yeah, right? The Poetry Lounge, ACLO, and Project Blow, definitely. Uh, Mike and I, yeah. uh, the whole freestyle fellowship. Of course, um, this is like '90s gods. Of course, they're uh, like my, you know, grandparents. Dog, when it comes AC to alone. Hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. Come on, dude. Like, it, it's like a like a meaner version of like the poetry lounge. I was talking but... to AC one time. I met him at a you know just around the scene. We yeah. was talking at a bar one night, and I was like, especially in those, I probably like ten years ago now. Right. And I was like, you and Dale, probably the illest. Cali rap like just rap lyricists oh yeah they're some of my influences for like sure. just breaking down rhythms and the the flow it just opened all of our minds for sure I mean Project Blood was kind of scary not just because of the, there's the a big artistry. battle area of it you know the battle was crazy yeah. but there was a lot of disciples AC alone disciples a lot yeah. of cats on AC's flow right and like you know what I'm saying the other members of the crew had their own stuff there's a lot of youngins that's trying to like still cop the voice same thing in the lounge two people trying to cop other people's voices right right I mean it was one of the places that just growing up on radio stuff, when I went to Project Blow, it kind of opened my mind and blew my mind a little bit to hearing the different... Project co- Blizzard is a... Is not, yeah, yeah, what's the code, Project Blow? But, but it's it's been... It was crazy to hear like such weirdo shit to like gangster shit, you know, and or well, yeah, things I mean, that get mixed that in. That was... Because what neighborhood you grow up in? Koreatown. Koreatown, yeah. yeah. So I grew up in Paramount um, out here. So we was from the hood. And so like this NWA, you know what I'm saying? This is right. like... All that was around DJ Quick. All that was around us and super dope. But then all of a sudden, Project Blow, Far Side, yeah, um, you know, Cypress, like yeah, yeah. different things were coming at us from different angles. And really, yeah. LA 
hip hop scene was. I mean, what's crazy? Different nineties. Honestly, man, that's one thing I, I've always had such a huge respect for you is because besides all your like acting accolades, is like the poetry lounge has been one thing that I'm like, yo, it's so crazy. Like you're like an OG who created the poetry lounge. That's that crazy. was a spot I would go to impress girls, bro. Oh, like, me too. I would take every. <laughs> No, it was like every time I meet like a new girl, I'm like, yo, let me take it to this place called the Poetry Lounge. And they would be blown away. We would just, and I would, it was the dating scene was crazy because I was dating a lot of girls out of the lounge. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was just, you would do, like all these girls would do poems like to you. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like the host, like, especially when it was like, Dante's you poetry must have lounge. been killing the and game then, then. Yeah. I would do one poem and then it was like for all of them <laughs> yo that's but it was so great. but it's inspiration you know, then, no, nothing more than inspiration than you I, know I take these girls. girls to the poetry lounge and would leave and they'll be so like many so many girls woke. so much inspiration he's so woke <laughs> like, yeah yo it's just like it's it's because there was so many amazing poets that and like and there's still so many amazing poets it's great to see the generations of poets and voices that have come through the lounge me and Chion actually did a TED talk like two years ago now. Yeah, as you guys should. And man. we did it in verse. It was oh, crazy. That's amazing. It's somewhere online. Are you are you still pretty involved with the poetry lounge? Yeah, um, definitely always involved. You know, kind of like the Phantom of the Lounge. I kind of pop in and out. If I'm working on something new, a new piece, I'll go through there. But uh, we're also I'm trying to kind of push the movement forward and push the whole poetry scene forward. Right. Uh, the next steps of again, like the maturation of us. Like, what are we doing now? Um, well, what, what is, I mean, would you say like, I mean, I've seen it pop up in so much in mainstream culture too, you know, over the years, but now it's like you got Hamilton, right? Yes. That's an element of that, Super right? Super dope. Yeah. yeah. Um, all that, you know, there's there's things like that where plays, that we're all been writing plays. I wrote a play called Me Not Make Out Session. It's all the monologues are verses and uh, just spoken, re- spoken word pieces. Sheehan has a play coming out right now. And then from that to now, we're pitching TV shows. Wow. And it's, it's about explaining to the poets, like really opening your minds. Like we're poets and poetry is dope, right? But poets are writers. This town is built on writers. Mm. We're storytellers. The, you talk to a script writer, a screenplay writer, a playwright, uh, a novelist, and say, what's your best stuff you wrote? And they're like, you know, the best stuff they would describe as poetry, and that's what we write right. all the time. So right. expand your writing, tell these stories, and let's bring it to commerce. Because it's, it's seen so many waves, like poetry right. coming into mainstream culture to like losing a little popularity mm-hmm. coming back in. But it's like kind of stronger than ever if you look at it, like even Blind Spotting, yeah, right? Blind Spotting. That has poets in Rafa, it, right? David yeah. killing it. Um, NQ's doing crazy. Yep. Uh, I, I really want the scene to, I want to, you know, I love the, the stand up comedy scene and what stand up comedy's doing and has been doing. I'm trying to take notes from that and mm. the improv scene and trying to elevate the, the poetry scene where, you know, like the biggest stand up comics can sell at the Staples Center. Right, right. Like, we need to get to that level. Yeah, I'm just wondering and, why can't like why well, can't it's that just, happen? Well, it's yet? just a change of mind, change of pace, and trying to educate the audience and even educate the poets on how they do their sets. It's like mm. look at the stand-up com- comedians and let's do our sets. We have to almost celebritize ourselves in a way. Right. And and the celebrities kind of anti in the poetry scene. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I see. It's not about celebrities. It's not think about, about that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, we kind of have to do that. We kind of have to have awards. Like, what's the best poem of the year? Mm. Who's the best poet of the year? Because once we create the hype within within the scene in a real direct way, and we really will just kind of like herd the audience into understanding. Like the crazy thing about the poetry lounge, I say is like, I think the poetry lounge and uh, New York Cafe are probably the two biggest venues in America, right? Mm. Uh, but you'll be on the same mic with like Saul Williams or Sheehan or NQ, and be like your first poem, like, well, we're the same. You're not the same. 
Right. Just because you're on the same mic on the same stage, don't it's, mean you're the same. It's right. about trying to create uh, just a, a hierarchy in a way. And maybe you know what I'm yeah, it's been and not a, a little bit way. too open. Like like that's just a platform for everyone. Yeah, and it's <laughs> almost anti the scene. And I'm you know it's very delicate. We all got love for the scene, so it's trying to do it in a very respectful way and trying yeah. to strategize it where we can really ha- create an hierarchy, not just for like ego. It's yeah. really for commerce and really get the the recognized poets, the real shine and the fame. It's like, why is the poet laureate of the country not one of the most popular poets in the poetry scene? Like, right, you know right, what I'm saying? Right. I don't know what, they don't speak to us. These cats are speaking to people on a really, you know, just guttural level and really yeah. speaking the words of, for the I've people seen, I right think now. it's that level of like, you see the poets when they're out every week and playing the same as up and coming comics too. It's just the way like the celebrity comics go and play the, com- the comedy clubs, right? right? But it's like, they haven't done the other end of it. Right. It's like built this whole... Right, but who's headlining? How's right. the headline? And then what's the headline going to lead to what? And then uh, how do we create that headlining scene into who creates, how come we need to create uh, an HBO hour special right. for the poet? But how does that, how do we know what poet deserves that? You mm. know what I'm saying? And so it's about creating the scene. And again, I know hierarchy sounds like a bad word within the poetry scene, but there, we do have to create that mm. kind of system. And that's what I'm about trying to help generate right now. For sure. I, well, so when you say you started in the living room, like what? Like my actual living room. When, when was this? I don't know. 94, 95? And what, what, like you just wanted to have a space where like. No, we, well, we, we started doing poetry and then it's all crazy. So we started doing poetry at Ronnie's Backstreet Poetry. And then these two girls, Fly Mommies, like these two Puerto Rican girls were throwing a, a club on Melrose, right? With uh with Chris Spencer was hosting and they brought me in like at midnight or 11 o'clock to do poetry, but I would bring a guest and they would just put me on the flyer like Dante. And I was like, Dante's yeah. poetry lounge, right? Cause it's not going to be me by myself. Right, right. And then people were like really digging that. And then like, and then I went to another place called Blase Blah. And then the poetry, the little half hour poetry section was over like mad. People were coming for the poetry more than the club. Yeah. They're like, damn, they just here for the poems. And then we just started doing one in my living room. And then the living room got crazy. Like, so it was like automatically you knew something was there, something was there like yeah. from the jump. Yeah, and then I brought, you know, then every place we went to, it just, we'd sell out theater after theater. And I couldn't do it because I'm acting. And my, I would cancel it and people would be showing up when there's no poetry lounge. Then I got uh, Sheehan involved. Uh, my, my friends and, po- you know, the founders of the poetry lounge, Sheehan, Poetry, Brother Jamel, and brought them in. And I was like, let me just take my name off it. And they're like, no, no, no. And then... We already had flyers that said Dante's Poetry Lounge. We took the NTE off. That's crazy. And it was just the Poetry Lounge. I was like, that's it. We're just going to keep... D- it's already DPL, Dante's yeah. Poetry I'm just keep a DPL. And we kept rolling. You know, it's an interesting story. Like, uh, when I first started rapping, some of my biggest mentors at, like, age 14 was, like, some poets. Like, Brother Jamel. Brother Jamel. And Ganu as well. Yeah, Ganu. Those, those two were actually... They've known me since I first started uh, rapping. Or Lamar Park. Ganu. I've known Ganu. He started coming to the Poetry Lounge because we were taking a class together yeah. at SMC. A right. drawing class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drinking... UPS, that was yeah. like his crew, I think. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's and I love Gnu, man. I got mad love for Gnu. It's yeah, it's just crazy. Those were some of my like early on hip hop mentors. It's crazy how the LA scene we all are intertwined in some crazy yeah. way. Yeah, no, no, I, it's it's crazy, man. I, I I think I don't know. Were you doing? So you were doing both, like acting and that. Acting, poetry. I was doing my band. Um, I stay just stay creative. Stay expressing yourself. I mean, we're still doing it. People like I'm thirty plus years in the game now, and people are like, how did you? How do you keep going? How do you keep surviving? And it's like, 
stay creative. Like, yeah, because I mean, with acting, it's like that's one thing, and there's a lot of downtime with that. Hella downtime in between, gigs. and you don't have a lot of control over. You ain't writing the roles. You just wait. The crazy thing sometimes about it act, feels like a job, right? Yeah, people always go, "It's lucky." I'm like, "It's not luck." Like getting good's not lucky. Yeah, that's on you. Like I was in conservatory. Me and my brothers and my sister would study for 20 years. Yeah, and so I put them up against anybody acting wise. But the luck is that you're lucky that someone a, up to a year ago or so wrote some role that happens to be right for you at this age range that you happen to beat out. 50, 100 other people, and when it finally comes out, someone gives a shit about it. Well, also, that's like that's all the luck. Also, you know, it's it's really when you know preparation opportunity meet that yeah, yeah. success, right? Totally. Yeah. So like you can get all the ill roles, but if you're not ready for it, well, it's not gonna. Someone has to write an ill role, and it's not you. You're just waiting for someone. You hope that someone writes an ill role, right? That fits you at this age in your life right now. Did you? I mean, did you see that as like for like for a role like Rufio? Like, did you feel like? This is like a fire role at the age. You I, know mean, what I mean, you knew it was fire just because it's Spielberg and it's like yeah. Robin Williams and all these dudes. So at that point, you already knew like the caliber of these Not dudes. Not really because well, you're yeah. still young, right? How old were you? I was 15, but I've been studying since I was 10. So I was like oh, okay. super serious. So you're in it. Like you're into oh, all that Dustin shit. Dustin Hoffman is a god to me. Wow. And so work and, and Robin Williams. Like matter of fact, it it's all works. It, this is how it all works. Like even Robin Williams. So. I love Robin Williams from like Mork and Mindy and everything, right? But my favorite film was Dead Poet Society. Right. Okay. Dead, yeah. That, that's why that's I started so writing poetry. Yeah. That's Dead so Poet Society, crazy. right? So we would talk every day on the set about poetry. I never even thought about that correlation between Dead Poet Society and. It was such support of me writing poetry. I talked to him about poems. I'm writing poems. He would tell me about his favorite poets. I'm reading poets and I'm telling him about my thing. And so even a part of me starting the poetry lounge was like part of support from Robin Williams. That's so crazy. How crazy is that? That's so wild. And then even even like the the fantasy world you're in, I guess like all the kids is just they're, they're just kind of being themselves, right? Yeah. I mean, would you know, we talk, you know, this is like post crazy rich Asians time right now. Right, right. So it seemed like We'll get to the crazy rich well, Asians. This is the pre. <laughs> the world after is all that, but you talk about representation and stuff and people talk about Rufio and it's like this iconic character in American pop culture or world pop culture now, right? And I'm always like, the illest thing about that now as an adult looking at, looking back at it now is like, Peter Pan is, you know, he's not, it's not even like a franchise. It's not even like, I mean, I'm a big Star Wars fan, I'm all, you know, all this kind of stuff. I've been involved in a few franchises now. It's, it's even beyond that. It's a fairy tale. Mm. It's been around since before any of us know right. anything. It's going to be around after we're all gone. And all of a sudden, in 1991, this little Filipino character jumps out in, right. this, in this thing. And now people are like at Disneyland or dressing up as Peter Pan and the crocodile and Captain Hook and Tinkerbell and someone's Peter dressed. Pan reinvented and then all of a sudden there's like this little Rufio is forever a part of right. this fairy tale and, at an, and that's like you're, you've thrusted an Asian American character right. in a fairy tale that will forever be a part of that I, I it's really, crazy I'm curious like what that must have been I mean I was a kid I was like so when that movie came out I was like five right, right. and it was just like uh, did you feel any kind of like the the climate like differently? I mean, did you see any yeah, I mean, Asian he, kids coming? I don't. I feel like just because you might see an Asian person doesn't mean right. necessarily like the whole thing changes, right? No, I mean it, it changed for me personally just because you know I like I've been in Hollywood now for like five years or so and just mm -hmm. kind of coming up. But you know when you're on, you have that 
that you you have the entree of of Spielberg and you have the entree of like the biggest film in Hollywood that you're in and and you're a standout character in that film all of a sudden you just have a different entry into Hollywood you right. know and then my generation of young Hollywood you're just running around in the scene and you're a part of like the Leo DiCaprio's and right, the, right, you know, right. Some, all, I don't know all those kids from that era like that we grew up together uh, television and film and partying together so it definitely changed my life um, you don't see the ripples of things until later you know what I'm saying I, I agree you know what's cr- so great about that role too like just thinking back you know obviously I love the character I love the fact you're Asian but it I didn't even really think about that nah, aspect of you no. being Asian. You know, now that I think about it, I'm like, you were just like a cool character, but obviously you were Asian, clearly. You right. see it, but it's like, damn, like that's how good the character was. Like I, That shit didn't really imprint in my mind. Like Everyone's talking about right. Asians in Hollywood, right? It just like, that wasn't even like a... I mean, I was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't even a conversation piece. Right. But what happens later on is all these kids, we were kids, now they're like grownups, right? And now we get it in the significance yeah, of Yeah, so like... Mad girls would be like, "You're the first Asian dude. You're the first person I had a crush on ever." Right, 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 right. And like that influences their outlook on Asian men for the rest of their lives. Right. Or like you, I get stopped by interracial couples all the time. Asian dude, like, yo, man, my girl had the biggest crush on you growing up, and I know for a fact you right. were the reason why she married me for <laughs> sure, one thousand percent. And you're like, that shit is like the little stuff that art influences that we never. It's not our main point of creating right. art, but that's the ripples that. And that's somehow- the thing. What back then it was like, it was like, oh, that guy's cool. Like he's just a cool guy. Like he's not like a cool Asian yet. Right. You know what I'm saying? Late, like, because kids don't have you know conversations about like. You know, uh, just just the cultural impact of things. You know what right, I'm saying? Right, right, right. Like that's a conversation we had later. Like later, you know, me or Tim or whoever, and we're talking. And we're like, oh yeah, like the Asian dude for hanging with Mr. Cooper, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Right, 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 right. You know, but like growing up on it, we never even really thought about well, that's that. That's the that's the magic. I mean, actually, a white director told me years ago when I was way younger, he was like, you know, he goes, if you were black or white, you'd have a whole nother career. Mm. he was like if you were black or white your career just as the caliber of actor he thought I was and and, and what I was doing and I still got a lot of love and respect what, what did he mean by that he, mean, he, he just meant, meant the, the amount of roles that, that oh, are I available see. for you true 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 you just don't have any roles avail- available for you to play and he goes but the thing is you could do a lot for your community and I go why he goes because because when you come in you work a lot because we see you before we see your race mm. like we see Dante right right we don't see like an Asian kid, da 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 da. We're like, we see all these things that are Dante, and then you just happen to be Asian. Right. And I go, wow, like I never thought about it that way. But that's how we see our friends and our family. Like, we don't really see our friends and family as Asian people. Right. And it's like, that's a 10th, so 11th, yeah. 12th adjective. When you're hanging out with the friends, and like, your friend's adjective is like, you're my Asian friend. Like, that's a fucked up friendship. Like, that's the first adjective that comes to you. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You know what's interesting about... And you never see white people be like, that's my white friend Joe. Yeah, no, no. Nah, dog, that's just fucking Joe. That's so true. Not that smart. I I even talk about like... Yeah, and that's like a fucked up thing. Like I I remember like if I go to a party and there's mad Asian people and someone's like there's mad Asian people here but that don't happen at like a party with like mad white people no because that's how, this is how Hollywood is and I try to break down to people it's like there's things that come out every day in breakdowns and uh, they're called breakdowns how you get a job and it's a description of all the characters that are being casted every day right and so of course if it's ethnic they'll be like the Asian dude mm. 25 
middle bit, whatever. The right. black dude, tall, whatever, right? If it's just like Johnny, 25, works at the supermarket, it's white. They don't got to say it's white. Johnny's yeah. a 25-year-old <laughs> white dude, but they're not saying white. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I'm yeah. It's so funny. Like, But that's just a, you know, it's a culture that we grew up in. I think things are changing, but that's just how it's been. You, you know what's so interesting? Like, you made a good point. Like, your career has been... I think it's very rewarding in a sense you've got so, to represent so much. Yeah. But ironically, like your biggest role had nothing to do with you being Asian in a sense. You no. know that that's the most ironic, like funny thing about it, right? I like, think they originally casted a white dude. I heard, and then I came in, and then they recasted a white me. Rufio. That would have been a whole other Rufio, right that there. Whole, and I know the kid. I remember. I don't know. I don't remember his name, but I remember him around the scene a lot when we were younger. So crazy. Do you know any history behind the name Rufio? Like, how did that come about? Because that's a fire ass name. But. Yeah, I don't know. But the uh, a lot of, I mean, I'm friends with the writer and the son who came up with the name. He's just his son who's also a writer now. A Jim V. Hart wrote the movie, and his son Jake Hart, who's a writer now, actually came up with the name. Such a fire name, bro. Yeah. That's so crazy. I know. And now there's kids named Rufio. Like yeah, I yeah. meet parents and their kids are named Rufio. I don't know. I don't know any like you know. It's crazy. Any historical other Rufios? Like, is that just was that based off of any other Rufio? I don't know. There's no I, other Rufio. Come I on. I think it was like a. I thought it was based on Rufus, and then it became Rufio. I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, now like you know, Hollywood has changed. Just recently, in the last like month or two, has been crazy in the Asian American community. Like, it's I can't crazy. go anywhere without having a con- like every Asian conversation right now is about crazy rich Asians. Yes. Yes. And um. It's just, I mean, why do you think now, like just obviously it's been 25 years since like an all Asian cast, but is that really specifically a thing or is it all around climate of everything? I think the climate, it's, it's our time in a lot of ways. It's been, it's been building up to this. I mean, we've been, we've been around LA, we've, we've been around the Asian scene for a long time and we've been all kind of pushing and talking about this for a while, but it's just our time, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, which is important, but also there's a lot of potholes in the past for other groups and we got to see, learn from that and kind of keep creating, uh, it's just been, you know, we, you know, this Cape has been around a long time. I started a group a few, like four years ago called We on the 8th about Asian media, celebrating Asian media the 8th of every month. And the conversations about Asian media has been going on. I think Crazy Rich Asians is kind of like the epitome of what, what could be possible. I think it's because there's also a lot of follow-up projects that have a lot of Asians in it. Yeah. I just noticed that. Like, I mean, we, we, it's bound to happen because at the end of the day, we've been here for a long time. Right. And our voices have, we've been invisible for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but I think with the new generation, you know, now you're getting to a lot of second, third generation people coming of age. Right. Uh, it's just time that our voices, we don't really swing the way our parents or our grandparents swing about just come to America and just keep your head down and just just do good and make money. And we did. Right. And we became an, uh, a, an affluent community. But now the second, third generation is like, no, no, we're not just keeping our, our nose down. We actually want our stories to be told. And, right. and that's what's happening collectively. When, when do you think like in your career or you as just a person like started getting passionate about the Asian American movement in a sense? It came you know, out I'm recently. It came out, not recently, I'd say within the last 10 years. I mean, eight years ago, I uh, co-founded a company uh, out of Hawaii. Uh, kinetic films they're, they are big my partner out there James Serino has like the biggest uh, local commercial house in Hawaii SC grad he wanted to do a film with me and we ended up creating a whole film wing of his company Kinetic Films and that is purely dedicated to Asian American Pacific Islander films we started doing that like eight years ago we did like three films with Kev Jumba Justin Chong mm-hmm. myself and other local Hawaiian artists and we were able to you know we're still making films but we were, we were able to sell our first three like two to Mar Vista one to Lakeshore mm-hmm. and so that really started uh, 
kind of you know you grow up in this industry and you start and i've been look i've i love the career i've had I feel very fortunate um the magic you know i turn i tour around these days doing keynotes at colleges and other events Sick. yeah and it's you know part of me is like when colleges first had me come and speak i'm like i didn't even go to college like, right. What the hell? Same here, and I right. feel like honored. Like I'm honored, and and great. All the UCs, and I've spoken at like Princeton and Brown, and you like right. places I wouldn't even be able to get into. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, too. you're like. What? But the thing about it is, Hollywood's arguably one of the hardest industries in the world. Mm. Yet I've been able to survive for over 30 years, over three right. decades, right? And um, and I'm Asian, right? With no roles. It's like, how can you? feast in a famine situation it's it's impossible like statistically yeah. i i'm an anomaly you're like that for sure no 100 percent. but I get then it. i and i and i can speak on that as an asian american artist but also i mean just that amount of time in hollywood alone white black or other it's yeah. an, like you're not gonna be, you talk to kids now i mean you know there's a part of me it's like this is the deal you're not gonna make it like yeah, come yeah, to, yeah. come to hollywood but you're not gonna make it yeah i mean statistically it's like true it's hard and, it's and, not but you might but if you work hard enough you're gonna make it yeah, yeah. it's like that it's that conversation <laughs> it's like you feel like you're the doctor or lawyer school going look to the left or right of you like they're not gonna be doctors I mean, or lawyers you've got a chance to not only be asian dude asian actor in hollywood but you got to play asian animated characters yeah which is kind of fire too that's <laughs> it was crazy and you know what's the other thing is my because i'm filipino because we're asian and latino like half of right. my roles are like latino like <laughs> the latino seems like this dude's playing mexican puerto rican right okay so i mean okay crazy rich asians going back to that um yes. how did you feel about it when it came out Man, like shout out to the whole crew i'm so proud of everybody John Chu's a, a good friend of mine. Uh, Chris Pang is a good friend of mine. You know, I hung out with Aqua a few times. Shout out to Aqua, Jimmy O Yang. So there's a lot of friends personally I know that I'm very proud of. Uh, and just I've been kind of tracking the, the whole project for a while. Mm. I was hanging out a lot with John, the director. Did you think it was going to have the big, you know, I was hoping. Impact? We all were hoping. Yeah. Uh, and I, I had a feeling that it would. I mean, the name alone, Crazy Rich, it was the right time, like the right, right book and the right, John's the right dude at the right time to do this. Uh, it, the kudos to it being this success has been like the first two weeks, opening weekend, and the second weekend, number one in the country. That's what I'm saying. It's crazy. And no marquee star. I mean, Michelle Yeo is awesome. Yeah. Constance is a cool TV star, but not like, I'm talking like marquee. Right, right, right. Will Smith. For sure, somebody crazy. We were like, yeah, that we all know that dude, right? Right. No, no marquee, marquee box office star. Yeah, yeah. And, and like not even the biggest Asian star in it, right? Not even like the biggest Asian star, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it just goes to show you that we're that we've been hungry, we've been thirsty for it, you right, know? Right. But we've been on that track. I've been I started on the track because I started following the whole YouTube scene. Yeah. The YouTube scene really opened my my whole brain up is what happened when we started in the film we're starting to do these movies i met kev jumba and aj Raphael, mm -hmm. right and this is like almost 10 years ago maybe eight years ago we called that asian hollywood like when that was happening the right. whole youtube the craze early early yeah. youtube craze and so these dudes put me on first they put me on the internet mm -hmm. right because i was like you were the old head like that yeah i'm like in my 30s at that time <laughs> and i'm like, like they're like, you got to get on the internet. And I'm right, like, right. I'm looking at Kev and Age. We're at a bar. Kev can't even, he's not even old enough to be in the bar. Like, we right. just got him in the bar. And they're like, I'm like, I'm not on the internet. That's y'all. And then they right, looked at right. me like, 
Google yourself. You're on the internet. <laughs> like if you don't control the conversation, right, right, uh, then someone. Else, there's already ten people saying that you already. And mm. I was like, what? <laughs> and so they are the ones that got me on. I started. I did a, the first film we produced, uh, Hang Loose with Kevin and Justin Sean. And so I always credit Kevin AJ with all my like social media life. But what they taught me, especially at that time, is you know a very large portion of the top YouTubers were Asian. Americans. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Ryan Higa, Kev Jumba, I mean, AJ Raphael, uh, tons of singers. And they were explaining to me, like, we don't have enough representation in pop culture media. Right, so right. all of our fans are Wong Fu killing it in YouTube. Right, right. And that's why I knew, like, we're about to blow on pop uh, culture. Cause so you think that was the precursor? Like, I, knew, to- I know it was a precursor. Yeah, and yeah. their fans, as much as there's a gang of Asian fans, all their fans aren't Asian. Right, right. Yeah. The world's changed. It's like It was like the introduction to Asian people, Asian youth, I think. Dude, like they you was know, killing it. To everybody else, right? And yeah. it was not just Asian youth, it was real Asian youth. Mm. It wasn't Hollywood produced Asian youth. Right. A lot of my Hollywood friends are like looking at these YouTubers early days, especially like they're just doing shit. I don't get what they're doing. You know, and I'm like, you don't see they don't have the quality of of the cameras and the right. lighting and all this stuff, but they're the quality. That I, dude, the ones that are successful, you can't, no one's writing an Asian character like that. That's a real Asian American guy right now. I, I think that was a good introduction to what the Asian identity is in America. Right. That was like really important to see like what, what, who are Asian kids, right? right. Like what are they like? Real, <laughs> you know, real Asian kids. Yeah. Tim Delegato. I mean, but a spectrum of Hollywood's not writing these characters. But you know what's interesting? And, you know, I think what you just said is a good point. Like, you got to know the real Asian kid, right? Right. And I think that was important because if you went to school, you know, there was like a group, a lot of Asian kids weren't as outgoing. You know, they were like a little bit more timid. So like, but when they did these YouTube videos, they got to kind of do it in bedrooms and whatever way they kind of really full on expressed themselves. And there was a spectrum of them. Like, I think Kev was a little more, you know, a little more kind of that kind. Introverted, yeah. Introverted. Kev was a little more introverted like that, and and he, I think YouTube was his outlet. Uh, Tim was extroverted, and right, was right. a total different realm. He was like a prom king at a school. Right. Like yeah. Ryan was real funny and was doing sketch. Like it wasn't one. It's true. That's it was a, a gang of them. So you see the spectrum of people. Just, we just regular people doing all kinds of stuff, but you haven't been able to see real three dimensional Asian characters right. in pop culture because no one. The reality is where I always say we have to write our own stuff and we have to create our own our own systems and our own kind of production companies and networks because like it or not, Hollywood's run by white people, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the experience and what they're doing is, a, I always tell people the reason why we got to do this is because it, 90%, 99% of Asian roles you've seen in your lifetime, roles I've played and seen have been the experience of a white man. Mm. Experience of you, and there's not that not that's all made up. There's truth in it because they're they're artists and they're experiencing the world, but they don't know you like you know you. They're right. just writing from their experience of their observations of us and our culture. When in this new media, this new Asian media, it has to be us observing ourselves. You know what I'm saying? It's right. our experiences of ourselves, not a white, usually a white male's observation or experience of us. Mm. And so that's. That's the new Asian media. And we got to, I mean, take the lead from the black community. They did just that as totally. well. You know, they, they literally 
put out films that was just all black writers, producers, actors. I have to. The black, I think we look at the black community, the African-American community, and it's very important, and we got to draw a lot of parallels and see the, the good things and the bad things that happen. The Latino community, what I always say right now is we're, we're hot, right? But I'm old enough to know that, I'm old enough to have gone through the mm. Latino explosion in the 90s. Right, right. And there is going to be a J-Lo. There is going to be a Mark Anthony, Ricky Martin, but the George Lopez show is going to get canceled. Right, right, you know what right. I'm saying? If we don't create our own systems, we're the arbiters of taste and we're the community supporting and the financial institutes of Asian Americans and Asians abroad are not funding it, then... It has to keep going. You mean, Because just... look where the Latinos are now mm. as an entertainment community. They're behind us. Right. Because English-speaking Latinos did not create the universe that we need to create right now when we're hot. Right. Which, which the African-American community did, like... There's probably like two to three, three or four maybe uh, African-American films that may hit mainstream pop culture. But there's a dozen that are just being, dozen to 20 being made every year. And so it's that soil that creates the opportunity for Will Smith to come out. Do, do you worry about some of the the near Asian releases that are coming up after the crazy rich no. Asians fervor? Like We need more. The thing about it is we need to out. I'm not, not saying worried about the quality. I'm talking about worried about the support. Um, no, well, we have to educate the audience, right? Mm. And again, this is something that the black community has done. I was hanging out years ago with some of my black actor friends, and they were like, yo, we're about to go out. And they're like, yo, we got to go buy our tickets to that new Medea movie. And I'm like, what? Yeah, what? Yeah. It's like Friday night, dog. Like, I ain't trying to watch. <laughs> but you saw I'm the- not even a big fan of Medea, <laughs> right, and I right. don't want to go watch But you're saying movie. you saw the support there. No, they're like, it's opening weekend. Oh, word. Okay, wow. Word, they... That's it crazy. Educated the community, which we were trying to educate the community now. Like opening weekend counts. Like that's the most important time right. for a film. The importance of what that is. You and know that, what I'm that was, they, they already knew. Right. They knew. But we just have to produce more. Like ten to, ten times more. When I sit in production offices and I talk to executives, and they, especially Asian American executives, right? Yeah. Um, and they go, "Why do we need this? Why do we? Because I'm all about pushing a whole Asian media, right? Mm-hmm. And like, why do we need this? I'm like why don't we just get the hot YouTubers and the hot guys and just make a movie? I'm like, that's, it's not about one movie. Yeah. I said, why African-Americans have, have scales because they've been creating product in this country, country for over 200 years. Mm. They created, they were doing jazz and blues, which became rock and roll, right? Yeah. Rock and roll, like they've been creating funk all that stuff, so funk, soul, yeah. everything, right? So that became hip hop in the nineties, right? Right. People are like, I was telling people like, I'll talk at a college, an Asian American club usually a young guy will come up to me, Asian dude, be like, I want to be the first Asian Will Smith. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you should want to be. That's yeah. what it, we all want to be that. That's right. what you should, that's what should drive you to go to Hollywood and create your career. But you got to understand that Will Smith at 17, DJ Jazz Jeff Fresh Prince was a bona fide star in all of America. Uh, Number one records, right? Yeah. yeah. Gold platinum records. So much so by the time he was like, after, during the record career, NBC and Quincy Jones created a show for him, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where he was a star of, mm-hmm. did that for eight years, star on an NBC program. And then after all that success, won the first ever Grammy, I mean, a, a, yeah, Grammy in the Grammy, hip-hop Grammy, mm-hmm. won the first hip-hop Grammy That's crazy, yeah. in the history. Right. Like we're talking about Will Smith, I'm going to be the first Will Smith, I'm like, do you see what this dude has done? Yeah. Then by the time he finished the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, all of a sudden, someone said, well, Let's put him in the star in action film. You can't put a black guy in the star in action film. Right. And it's like, well, let's just do it. Independence Day. Yeah. Filipino producer, Dean Devlin. That's crazy. Did it right. And the rest is history. I'm like, okay, can you do all that? 
but let's not let's not go there yet. Let's go 200 years ago. African Americans started creating music. Right. Became jazz, blues. There's more history to be written. You're became, saying, yeah, yeah, became rock and roll. By right. the time Will Smith came out, hip hop replaced. Rock, rock and roll, and roll yeah. as pop music. Yeah, the most influential genre. Like it just became. So yeah. it's like, do you see what African Americans have done in in just art in so our you're country? We have so much more history to create, right? Is that yes. in, in entertainment in particular? For yeah. us to catch up, we need to be doing ten to a hundred times more product. You're right, and uh, and that includes film, music, dance. Just be art. creative. And just make just shit. Make, make shit. a lot of shit. Everybody, I just support everybody to make shit because at the end of the day. <laughs> Who's to say who's better than who? Yeah, Dante Bosco makes a lot of shit, man. I'm telling you right now. And just saying, everybody needs to make shit, and like we need to support each other. And that's the thing. I, and honestly, that is that is real. You know, I rap, but I'm I'm trying to write, act, everything, and everything. just be creative. There's a lot of time that you can do. It's not just one thing. You know what I'm saying? Like fill in that time. Totally. Fill- Yo, um, on that note, you got any projects coming out, bro? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, I know you make a lot of shit. That's why you're here on the streets. We're doing a lot of stuff. I mean, I did get a book deal, so I'm in the middle of writing a book. Ooh, um, have you done that before? I never did that. And wow. It's, it's harder than I thought. Damn. And, and I got the title. They're already sending me like like artwork on the cover. And it's like, is it about? Is it like a biographical thing? Yeah, or? it's just autobiography oh, wow. from Rufio to Zuko. It's called From Rufio to Zuko. Sick. And then, uh, and then I have a bunch of films coming out. I just came back from the Philippines shooting a film with Chris Payne from Crazy Rich Asians, Osra Chow from Supernatural. Uh, we produced it together also called Empty by Design. Drea Walters, a, a Filipino girl, uh, first film. So yeah. that's really exciting. Um, we have a few more films. The whole concept I'm trying to push forward. I was big on Asian American media, but as I've been traveling through Asia, it's really the new, I'm calling it the new Asian media now. Because hmm. the new Asian media is creating art Asian art with no boundaries. Right. It's about us going there, them coming here, about this shared story, building bridges into Asia where the great art is at, great financial backing is at, here where great art is at. And so it's like this new Asian media. It's like post-Crazy Rich Asians. And so there's so much going on in that in that realm and being a part of that is is crazy. Yeah. What, one thing, I mean, before we go, talking about that really struck me because I just spent a few months in the Philippines is... Being ethnic in America is that there's like this self hatred you have for yourself, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. you're like looking around at people, and you're and you're just surrounded by Asians, right, right? Right. And Asians that are sound like your grandparents that you realize like you kind of kind of shy to hate it. You make fun of those accents the and those issues. cultures yeah. and whatnot, and you go, "We were painted into." A- and you're like, I, "Why do I? Why does do I not like that?" Like hmm. you're like. You know, I was also just been uh, two weeks in Europe. My brother's like, we've been jocking people with a, even now in Hollywood, you come with an English accent. Right. You love it. We always French, said, we say that it's sexy. We sexy, say it's like, yeah, yeah. whatever. But, you know, different ethnic groups, whether it be Asian or African, it's like even Mexican. All like, it's like, those are like fob, fob ass things. I'm like, no, no, fob is a negative thing. It's not a negative thing anymore. Like, right. that's cool. That's, I feel you. I agree. And, and trying to re- Program ourselves. Program ourselves where it's like we re-include ourselves in in everything. Yo, I feel that 100%. It's been enlightening. You know, that sounds like some enlightening shit right there. Yo, yo, Dante Bosco, always a freaking honor, man. Yo, Real shit, it's dude. It's good to see you. I, I, I love you, bro, and I, I respect you so much, man. That's Let's do up. a movie together. Please, yo. Let's I, go. I, I've been waiting for someone like you to cast me. And not Let's going, go. Now, you know, sometimes you go out for these roles. It's a fucking job, and I'm not going to wait for the perfect role for me, dude. Like, right. I'm not going to do that. You just know. make stuff. You know what? Just make shit. That's the slogan. Go out and make shit. Tune in next week. Fun with Dumb. Thank you. Peace. Peace.